All right. <laughs> Penalty. This was your idea to have jersey, wear your favorite jersey Sunday. And what does he do? I think it's a prank. Listen, everybody watching at home who can't see, there are many people wearing their favorite jersey today. It's our theme for Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and I thought I would wear my favorite team jersey and, and be impartial so nobody can get mad at me right now. And everybody loves the referees, right? They're the best. Okay, here we are. We are in chapter 19. Now, do you remember a couple weeks ago, do you remember God's 70-year plan? You remember he was telling Jeremiah, oh, I've got plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to bless you, plans to give you hope and a future. But then, like the verse right before it, he said, look, I've got this 70-year plan for you, and yeah, it's going to be da-da-da-da. Well, in our lives, just... Two weeks have gone by, and we're in chapter 19, and 70 years have passed. Uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, has been in exile, has been in captivity in Babylon now for, for seven decades. What we need to realize is that this happened because of God's loving discipline. Loving discipline. When God corrects us, it's not to harm us. It's not to punish us even. It's to get our attention, get us back on the right track. And so that's what God has done for 70 years. And and now Judah is returning back home. So I'm going to talk about coming back home. Maybe you or uh, some, someone that you know, a friend, uh, maybe if you're watching online today, maybe you feel like you're far from God and you'd like to come back home to God. Or maybe you're estranged from your family or a family member. You love to come back home. Maybe it's a struggle with uh, an addiction. You let it get a hold of you again. You really would like to to come back home. Well, today I want to give you a roadmap on how to get back home. And we can look in chapter 19, the very first words there in Ezra. uh, They teach us uh, quite a bit about how to come back home. And so I've got just four points that I want to share with you today. I normally have three, but I got four today. Well, in each point actually has two sub points, so it's more like 12. Nobody's in a hurry today, right? There's no, like, final round of a golf tournament you want to catch or final football game of the season. No, nobody's in church. We can spend all day in church. I'm, I'm good. No, all right, really quick. So how do we get back home? The first lesson, the first lesson I want us to learn from Judah is that God will make a way. Again, maybe you feel like you're far away and there is no way back, but there is a way. God will always make a way for you. Uh, Look what he did for Judah. In the first year, Cyrus is the king of Persia. Again, remember, 70 years ago, Babylon was the superpower in the world. Uh, Decades have passed. Persia has defeated them. Persia is the superpower in the world. And the new king, 
he makes this amazing decree. He says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Well, isn't that a coincidence? 70 years after Jeremiah even prophesied about it. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where service uh, survivors may now be living, the people are to provide, look at this, with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. God intervened. God from heaven intervened into human history and he turned the heart of this pagan king, this who happened to be the most powerful man in the world at the time. God turned his heart toward the people of Judah. Return home. Rebuild that temple that the Babylonians destroyed 70 years ago. God intervened for Judah, and he will intervene for you. I know some of you have lived the life of a prodigal at some point in your life. I'd say almost every time I hear their story, there was an incident that was completely outside of their control that paved the way back for them. So maybe if you're still living the life of a prodigal and you feel like you're so far that it's just too late, there's no more hope, there's no way home, yes, there is. God will make a way. He will intervene into human history, much less your own life, to bring you back home. God will always make a way. Something else that we can learn from Judah is that, well, now that you come back home, things need to be different. Hmm? You can't keep doing the same thing. You can't keep hanging with the same people you were hanging with. If you come back home to God, or you come back home to your family, or you come back home to sobriety, you can't keep doing things the way you did them in exile in Babylon. Let me give you some examples of what Judah did. Some major changes that Judah made when they came back to Jerusalem. First of all, they did not appoint another king. And do you remember back in the beginning how much they wanted a king? And God said, yeah, it's probably not to get out. No, God, we really want a king. They're just going to take your sons off to war, take your taxes. You don't, God, we really want a king. We really want a king. And so God said, okay, I'll allow it. And Surprise, surprise, all the kings led them further and further away from God. So now, is, you know, Judah's back in Jerusalem, and now they've got the attitude, been there, done that. <laughs> Don't need a king. We're good. And a second major change that they made, did you notice, if you've already read it this week, I know some of you read the next, after the sermon, that's all good. But if you've already read it, did you notice, the very first thing the Jews did when their feet touched Jerusalem's soil, they built an altar. And they started again, the morning and the evening sacrifices. They made God a priority in their life. 
when you come back home, God cannot be second place again. You get to church every Sunday. Okay? No excuses, especially with the online church we got. Piece of cake. You open up God's word every day. You, you take your requests and your decisions to God in prayer every day for his blessings and for his grace. Things change when you come back home. God will make a way. Things have to change when you get back. And then another lesson I think we learned from Judah is that we need to stay alert to the enemy's schemes. Uh, all of us, we all have someone, there's somebody in our lives, in our circles somewhere that doesn't want to see us succeed. Doesn't want us uh, the best for us. And for Judah, their greatest enemy were the surrounding nations. They, who remembered back when Israel was a force to be reckoned with in the world. And now this effort uh, today to make Judah great again uh, was not looked favorably upon by the surrounding nations. And so they tried schemes, right, to try to tear Judah down, try to pull Judah away. Uh, and one of the things they did uh, was they tried to infiltrate their way into the society, into the friendships and the mingling, the relationships, you know, influence. And so they offered, hey, Judah, we'll help you build this new temple. We'll come on in. We'll, we'll help the labor and supply. We'll help you build this temple around the altar you've already built. And their leader at the time was named Zerubbabel. Is that a great name? Okay. Somebody name your next kid Zerubbabel. We've, I've not seen that on the preschool roster in a few years. Well, he was wise. He was shrewd. And he said, you... Surrounding nations, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel. The King Cyrus, the King of Persia, commanded us, us, uh, to do it, right? Not you. So, no way. Don't give your enemy a foothold, not a crevice to reach into and grab hold of you. Uh, no room, no room for the enemy. Another thing the enemies of Judah did was discourage them. And they uh, bribed them and uh, stole from them. And, uh, but discouragement is a, is a big, big enemy. And sadly, this scheme actually worked for Judah, on Judah. Judah actually stopped the construction process, project of the temple. And they turned their attention to their own homes their own businesses, their own fields. And this is obviously a temptation for all of us. I think this is probably the biggest temptation for any follower of Jesus is to turn our priorities upside down. Me first, God second. As we say back in Tennessee, where we cheer for the Titans, that dog won't hunt. Right? Me first, God second. That is not going to work out. Uh, Jesus told us, if you seek first the kingdom of God, hey, all these other things will be added unto you. C.S. Lewis kind of rephrased it this way. He said, if you, if you make the first things first in your life, you'll have all the second things added in. 
But if you make the second things first in your life, you'll lose the first and the second things. you lose it all. Or Jesus, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or uh, those who seek to save their life will lose it. But if you lose your life, if you live as living sacrifices to God, you gain it all. The number one things and all the other things God will bless you with. So our priorities need to be, when we come back home, right, God first, probably neighbor second, me third, but God first. Um, That kind of leads us to the last point, because uh, for the people of Judah, when they got distracted and they started working on their own houses, uh, that's when the blessings stopped. And God was going to correct them. Again, more loving discipline. And so when you come back home, or when you live home, we always have to remain open to correction. Now, does, does anybody remember, vividly remember, the last spanking that you got? <laughs> I do! Does anybody remember the last spanking? Come on. Oh, uh, you're, nobody ever got a spanking, huh? Yeah. Well, I'll just say my grandmother's spankings were, were not meant to harm us. They didn't injure us. Honestly, they didn't hurt that much either, but I would never admit that back then. You had to play it up. Back then. Oh, ah! <laughs> that was good. Oh, no. Uh, no, her, the purpose was to say, look, boy, if you don't learn to take correction, you're not going to make it. <laughs> uh, get your attention. And that's what God is going to do for Judah. Now that they've come back home, started, stopped the temple. Uh, it was over a decade. They had stopped working on the temple. And you can imagine the, the, the weeds and the disrepair, half finished, uh, building, What kind of symbol was that? What did that say to the surrounding nations? And you got to understand, again, this discipline from God, it's so important for the grand plan because of the 12 tribes of Israel, Judah was the one that God chose to send us the Messiah. That's how we're going to get Jesus Christ. But now if they're not representing God to the surrounding nations accurately, That's a disservice. That's confusing about who God is, the nature of God, God's plan for the world to bring all people, not just Jewish people, all people back home to God in the garden. So he has to lovingly discipline them. And so he sends a a prophet named Haggai, which we've looked at already. But the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? That's a rhetorical question. Don't answer God on that one. (laughs) No, of course not. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, when God says, give careful thought to your ways, I'm going to stop. I'm going to take inventory of my life and my priorities. Careful thought uh, to your ways. 
You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on your clothes, but you're not warm. You're in wages, but they go in a purse with a hole in it. If you make the second things your first thing, you're going to lose the first and second things. Without the blessings of God, you're never going to accumulate enough. People, money, power, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever. Nothing in this world will ever satisfy. And it's worse than that. If that's all you got, it'll actually rot. It'll rot you from the inside out. And so this is what God's saying. You've been working, working, and I haven't been blessing it. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Now, when God says it one time, I'm going to pay attention. God says the same thing twice. He means it. Go to the mountain, get the timber, start building my house. Because it, may, it remains in ruins while you are off busy doing your own houses. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields, the mountains, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, everything else on the ground, the people and the livestock and all the labor of your hands. Not just a water drought. God has turned off the spigot of blessings. There is a drought in this land for the purpose of getting their attention, of shifting their momentum, of changing their direction. Because he loves them and he loves us. It's all part of his plan. So being open to correction. Now, I've been pastor for a little while. I've been an adult for a little while. And there's something I've come to realize about most people. It's true about myself. It's true about many of the people that I try to lead spiritually. Uh, it's just a fact of life. Uh, we are not open to correction. It's very difficult to, to take. If there is a marriage that is deteriorating, uh, if there are uh, bad habits that are turning into a pattern, and a loving friend or a loving family member confronts them, they don't want to listen. Almost always, they just don't, they don't listen. Now, I don't like to listen to correction either. I don't, like, I don't like criticism. <laughs> but I've tried to make it a goal. It's an aspirational goal <laughs> to be open, to be more open to correction. Because I have seen, I've absolutely seen uh, the... Lack of humility, the, the lack of being teachable, uh, really be the downfall of many people, many pastors for sure. And so I have. I've made it this goal uh, to be more open to correction. Now, fortunately, I haven't made any mistakes in 20 years, so I haven't needed any correction. Thankfully. Well, wait, no, I meant to say last 20 minutes. That's probably not true either. Messed us up. Um, <clears throat> But being open to correction is, is key. Again, humbling ourselves uh, before God and his great plan and uh, listening to other people. Now, I will say this. I'll give you a couple of tips. Remember, every point's got two subpoints. All right. Anybody taking notes? Are you doing an outline for us? Okay. I'll publish that um, at halftime. Um, <laughs> two tips for you about taking correction. The first thing I do when someone comes up to me and confronts me, the first thing I do is take about 10 deep breaths. 
And it works. Just... <sighs> slowing your heart rate. That's the key. Get your heart rate down. So you're calm. Your mind is open. Your heart is open. And you listen. And after I take 10 deep breaths, then I discern. I want to consider the source. Is this a person who's for me? Or maybe not. Uh, don't let them get a foothold, a crevice to infiltrate. Because remember, there are enemy out there. Uh, so if the source is something, uh, someone that I know is not for me, I know that, then I'll probably smile and say, okay, thanks, whatever. But still, I will take that comment to the Lord in prayer and ask him to reveal a kernel of truth that might be in there that I can apply, that make myself a better person, make myself a better servant, father, whatever. And sometimes there's something there. But honestly, sometimes I feel like God says, like the peace that he gives me, I think he's saying, don't even listen to that lie. Don't let that distract you. Don't let that defeat you. That's a great feeling. But if I consider the source and it is someone who has walked with me, someone who cares about me and is for me, someone who loves God, and they confront me, then I listen. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I listen and I thank them. I don't automatically think, oh, you're right, that's wonderful, I'm just going to stand. No, but I listen. <laughs> I listen and I thank them and I take it to the Lord in prayer. This brings us back to Judah. Judah takes the correction of the Lord well. And they resume their construction project. They complete the temple. And the winds of God's blessings are at their backs again. God will always make a way home. And he's made that so evident in the life, in the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the way, the way, the truth, and the life. Back to God, back to the garden, back to heaven and our family waiting for us there. So I encourage you, again, if you feel like there's no way home, I promise you there is. And if you know someone in your life who you feel is far from home, pray for you and I'll pray for them and look for those opportunities to lovingly confront them lovingly let's pray right now actually heavenly father i thank you that you have provided a way for each and every one of us for all people all your children god well we thank you that we are home right now and we get to receive your son's body and blood in his holy meal his sacrament which ensures us that you are really present with us always, that your forgiveness is real and tangible. Your grace is in us and with us, everything that we do. Lord, we do pray for those loved ones that we know that are maybe prodigals that are not home right now. We think they need to get home. Uh, Lord, it is so hard to confront people that we love. But please give us courage and your spirit and certainly the the wise and the loving words uh, to be able to share we ask it in jesus name amen